Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. In this chapter tonight, we truly begin to see that God is systematically knocking out all the props of those who live on the earth that imagine that there is no God. God is also very systematically removing every means by which man can continue to imagine himself as independent of God. All of life is dependent upon Him. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis from his book, The Problem of Pain, too. He writes, God uses pain as a megaphone to get the attention of morally deaf people. As we approach chapter 8 of the book of Revelation tonight, here's how I would like us as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers in Christ, to approach this. I would like us to approach this from this perspective. Though we will never go through what Revelation 8 is going to be talking about. Because Jesus stands between us and this. That we still can apply some of, of what God is trying to show the world of unbelievers, even to us, in this way. Many times as Christians, we can go through a day, a week, a month, and maybe even a year not acknowledging, not recognizing as we should how dependent we are on the Lord. That we are absolutely, totally dependent on God every second of the day for everything. And so God, help us as we go through this chapter that clearly illustrates that all of life is dependent upon you. Just how much we are dependent upon you. And, and may we gain a new appreciation for the fact that, that we have a God that we can depend and rely on for all things. And that He's willing to give us and not withhold from us one good thing. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning, James writes. The other thing we're going to see in this chapter tonight is this. That God is beginning to attack, if you will, the natural systems. He's beginning to judge His creation, His physical creation. In a sense, he's taking away from the earth dwellers who remain on earth the creation, if you will, to some degree, which is going to obviously affect them in a great way. Why does God do that? Well, 
Let me just read it. It's better for me to read it and get it right than not to read it at all. I'm reading from the first chapter of the book of Romans, which by the way we'll be starting a series on throughout the entire book of Romans around Easter time this year. Here's what Paul says. For although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give Him thanks. Romans 1.21 But they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They worshipped and served creation rather than the Creator. What God is doing in Revelation chapter 8 is reminding those who still exist on the earth, I'm the Creator. I'm the one that created all this. And this creation of mine clearly showed you my glory. You chose to ignore it. And instead of giving me proper worship, you began to worship what I created instead. You did not look past the creation to the one who made it. You stood in awe of the whale as you watched the whale. But you never gave thanks to the one who created that magnificent animal. You stood in awe of the mountains and and the formations on the earth and the sunsets and the sunrises and you experienced my creation every minute of the day. You saw it. And yet you never took the time to acknowledge and see the God behind it all. So again, I say and appeal to us as believers May we not get caught up in the creation itself to the point where we don't see past all that God created. All the animal life. All the magnificent stars and, and, and planets and the universe and everything from top to bottom and not get past the creation itself to the glorious immortal God that created it all. Including us. Because again, we are living in a day and age of great humanism where man is being worshipped instead of the God who created us. And so again, in this chapter, what God is doing is showing mankind how dependent they are. That they have up to this point pretty much imagined that there is no God and they're clearly going to be confronted 
with the fact that there is a God and He's very much alive and He was their Creator, is their Creator, and is the Creator of all things and He controls His creation. And He is systematically removing the props that man has placed in his life to imagine there's no God and He's systematically getting rid of everything to show man how dependent on God we really are. That we are not the measure of all things. God is the one behind it all. So I direct your attention, first of all, to Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. When it says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence, literally a hush, in heaven, the place of worship for about a half an hour. Now, think about this. We've already talked in the book of Revelation about heaven being this place of worship that ever since God created the angels and and created anything in heaven that it has unceasingly, without interruption, been worshiping praising, adoring, singing His praises, music, unbelievable praise and worship since their creation up to this moment. There's never been no worship. There's never been silence in heaven up to this point. So you can imagine, even though it's only a half an hour of silence, how silent that would be for for the place of worship to all of a sudden be quiet for a half an hour. And it is a reminder of, of what is coming and how sobering the events that are about to unfold where the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is about ready to break the final seal, this seventh seal, which also enfolds into it the seven trumpets and seven bowls of God's wrath which will be poured out upon the earth throughout this seven-year tribulation period. It also reminds us of this. Something I shared earlier. That we are reminded here as believers that because we have Christ, Jesus Christ stands between us and anything else. And the only way anything else gets to us is it has to pass through Jesus Christ. To those who do not want Christ in their life, most of the time, now even in His grace, even to those that don't care about Him, don't acknowledge Him, whatever, there are many times where unbeknownst to them, even then, Jesus Christ stands between them and something. But most of the time, He lets whatever is out there come their way. Because they don't want him they don't acknowledge him but i want to encourage you tonight that jesus christ stands between you and anything and everything else that will ever come your way and you can truly count on the fact that if jesus christ has let something pass him to get to you and me it is for our highest good and for his glory verse 2 Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. We don't know who these seven angels are. 
These seven angels who literally have stood in the presence of God. The only clue I can give you is that there's only one angel that's ever mentioned in the Bible who has said of himself, I stand in the presence of God. And that is Gabriel. In Luke chapter 1 verse 19, when Gabriel comes down from heaven and visits Zechariah, telling him that his wife Elizabeth is going to conceive and bring forth a son, he says to Zechariah, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I have come to give you this message and to bring to you this good news. Luke chapter 1 verse 19. Is Michael one of those angels? Could be. But only the Bible tells us that at least we know of that Gabriel is the only one by name that we know of these seven angels who stand in the presence of God. They certainly have a unique perspective on the Lord. And it says seven trumpets were given to them. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. Another angel holding a golden censer. Don't forget, a a censer was simply an instrument to carry hot coals. It was used, you know, obviously during the temple time. And so this angel having a golden censer came and with it, he was stationed at the altar. Couple things. First of all, there were two altars in the temple. There was the altar of sacrifice and there was the altar of incense. This is the altar of incense. This is the one we had described earlier where he says that this incense is the prayers of the saints that ascend up before God. And so he is standing here at the altar of incense and it is a reminder again of how the prayers and the petitions for justice and for vindication that have risen up to God through the centuries from the saints of God are now being expressed as now all of those prayers are in a sense being answered. It reminds us, don't ever give up on prayer. And don't think that your prayers don't matter to God at all. It may be that God though is not going to act upon those prayers till His perfect timing. But He keeps them all. As we have seen already here. He keeps every one of them. He has a record in His heaven of every prayer that we have ever prayed. And they mean much to God because they ascend, we've already seen, like this sweet-smelling incense. That doesn't encourage your prayer life. Nothing will. And he was stationed at the altar, and a large amount of incense was given to him to offer up with the prayers of all the saints on this golden altar that is before the throne. The smoke coming from the incense, along with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire, from the altar of petition and through it, poured it out upon the earth. So again, you see the relationship even between the prayers of God's people down through the centuries 
for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, for God to come and be glorified as he should be, for justice to reign, for vindication to happen. All of that is now coming to fruition as God is answering those prayers and responding to those prayers. And literally it is those prayers mingled with all of this that is being thrown back upon the earth. And the Bible has taught us from the very beginning that fire is part of God's judgment. Remember the words of John the Baptist when he described the one who was coming after him, who was greater than him, whose sandals he couldn't even carry? He went on to say of Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he is getting ready to clean out the threshing floor. He will gather the wheat into his storehouse, but the chaff he will burn up with inextinguishable fire. Fire. That fire is coming. And it comes from heaven. He threw it on the earth and there were crashes of thunder, roaring, flashes of lightning, and a great shaking or earthquake. And now the seven angels holding the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. I want to take you back to the book of Joel where the prophet Joel talks about the trumpets being blown. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm signal on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land shake with fear, for the day of the Lord is about to come. Indeed, it is near. Joel chapter 2, verse 1. We will read the rest of that chapter next week. The trumpet. A call to battle. An alarm. And here they come. And the first angel... Revelation 8-7 blew his trumpet and there was hail and fire mixed inseparably with blood. By the way, this is similar to the judgment upon Pharaoh in Egypt that Moses extended in the book of Exodus. And as I read this, I want to share with you this, again, just how awesome our God is. Keep your finger there in Revelation and go back, please, to the book of Job, to Job chapter 38. Did you know that God has a storehouse of hail that he is reserving for this day? Job chapter 38. I knew some of you would like this. It just reminds us, oh my goodness, God is just, just when you think God is like, oh my goodness. No. He's even greater than we can imagine. Look at Job 38, verse 22. God here, talking to Job. He says, Job, have you entered the storehouse of the snow? Or seen the armory of the hail which I reserve for the time of trouble? For the day of war and battle? God has stored up 
hail in this armory that he's reserving for the day that has been described in the book of Revelation. That's the kind of God, he's, he's just an amazing God. I have a storehouse of snow over here. I got an armory of hail over here. I got all this stuff covered. And, and that's why when God says something's going to happen, oh, it's going to happen because he's already prepared for it. That's why he tells us, look, live as if it's already happening or already going to happen because it will. It's inevitable. If I said it, I got it already all worked out. I got the hail right there. It's just a matter of me saying, hail, go down there. It's already there. It's already stored up. You see. Back to Revelation 8. So God sends this hail, fire mixed with blood. It was thrown, literally poured out at the earth so that a third of the earth was literally burned up. Consumed by fire. A third of the trees were burned up. All the green grass. Also, by the way, this phrase green grass in the original language also means stalks of grain. So not only are we talking about just the grass itself, we're talking about food supply here. Which is why the great famine will be coming, unlike any other famine that was burned up as well. A third. Remember... The Creator is reminding those He created who never acknowledged that He was the Creator, who never gave Him thanks for His creation, who worshipped and served the creation rather than the Creator, He's going to remind them, I'm the Creator. And everything I created, I created to make it habitable and enjoyable for you. I did all of this for you, not for me. I don't need this. I am the self-existent Jehovah God. I can live independently of anything or anyone. I need nothing outside of myself, but everything I created is dependent on me. And you have lived in such pride and arrogance. And that you go through the day and you don't even acknowledge that it is by my very hand that you made it through that day. And that you had the air to breathe and the food to eat and the water to drink and anything else. It came from me, your creator. And he is very dramatically going to intervene in creation and in a sense take what man has depended on rather than him, and he's going to systematically take it away. So that man will realize, I'm not really dependent on myself or anyone else, or I'm not even dependent on creation. I'm dependent on the God behind it all. As we read from the book of Romans. Verse 8. Then the second trumpet, or angel, blew his trumpet, And something like a great mountain. Again, not a great mountain. John's doing the best he can. It corresponds in John's mind to a great mountain. A burning fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures living in the sea died. And a third of the ships were completely destroyed. Why does God mention the ships? I'm glad you asked. 
Would you please go to the book of Isaiah? Keep your finger in Revelation. Isaiah chapter 2. It was a way of bringing down man's pride. That's what the ships stand for. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Some of you have gotten there before me. Sorry. I'm a little slow on the draw tonight. Notice he says, for all the large ships, for all the impressive ships, Isaiah 2.16, proud men will be humiliated. Arrogant men will be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Just like the earthquakes. The great shakings that will take place. It reminds us of what the writer of Hebrews says when he says, Therefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us serve the Lord. Let's acknowledge Him. Let's be thankful that what we have cannot be shaken. What really matters cannot be shaken. And all the things that can be shaken and torn down and torn apart really shouldn't matter to us very much. And all the buildings and great edifices that, that sort of, you know, shout out man's pride of how magnificent and great he is apart from God will all be torn down. Just like the great Tower of Babel and Nimrod. It's all coming to an end. Where God confronts mankind finally with the fact that you may think you're independent of me, You may think I don't exist or that you don't need me. But you're going to come to a realization real quick of just how dependent you are upon me. Back to Revelation 8.10. Then the third angel blew his trumpet and a huge star burning like a torch fell from the sky. It landed on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Now the name of the star is Wormwood. It literally means an unpleasant substance that consumes. So a third of the waters became Wormwood or bitter. And many people died from these waters because they were poisoned. They were virulent. They were deadly. You see. Again. God systematically just dismantling all that allows man to imagine that there is no God. Now, you and I, when we read this too, we, you know, even as believers in in Christ, it's like, wow, this is bad. And we we can't even begin to imagine how bad it is. But I want to remind us of this as well. Don't forget that just as C.S. Lewis talked about the fact that some, not all, but some morally deaf people will finally wake up and repent, and that there will be people who come to God in the midst of this, because they finally have gotten so shaken, and their pride has finally 
been cut down to the point where they are willing to acknowledge a God that up to this point in their life, they were not willing to believe he even existed. And on a much smaller scale, let's remember that that truly happens even to us or people that we know today, again, on a much smaller scale. You and I know this to be true. I know it because as a pastor for 29 years, I've been in many a hospital room of, of, of individuals that it took some crisis of health and my goodness, all of a sudden, the way they were living one week compared to after they got out of the hospital and the way they were living after that, completely different. Now, I'm not going to say that all of them sustained that, but it does get to us. For many, they rearrange their priorities because all of a sudden things that didn't matter the day before all of a sudden, look different. We all know that even as a nation. I mean, you, you and I can't talk about something like September the 11th, 2001, and not think that the way many people were living their lives up to that point changed, at least for a little bit, after that. I'm not saying it sustained, but some things changed in people. And so we are going to see that happen during this time of tribulation as well. Not, not everyone, but many will come to the Lord through this time. And maybe, maybe they would have never come had it been anything less. You know, sometimes we think, my goodness, these judgments are just awful. But we are going to see just how hard people's hearts can be. And we're going to see that even, even in the midst of all this judgment, there are many people that even in the midst of all this judgment will not repent and turn to God. It is certainly an answer to those who say, well, if God just made himself more known and more visible and, and just intervened more and and, you know, put himself out there in a more dramatic way, man, people would just flock to church and get, get spiritual. And No, they won't. Because our hearts are hard. I mean, do we need to go back through the Old Testament and see the illustration of the whole nation of Israel? And all that they experienced by seeing the Red Sea parted and their deliverance from Egypt, and yet they went right back to very quickly after that, creating an idol and worshiping the idol rather than the God who set them free. It shows the propensity, the bent of humanity to basically live independently of God. And it goes right back to the whole reason why Lucifer looked at his Creator one day and says to his Creator, I will be like the Most High. I am tired of being your messenger and your envoy. I'm going to live independently of you. And ever since then, Satan, the one primary thing 
that all, everything else he does revolves around is he seeks to get everyone to live independently from God rather than dependently. Because that's how he started out. And that's why even as believers, we have to be careful that we don't begin to live, even as believers in God, independently from him. But dependently on him. Verse 12. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, literally covered with darkness. And there was no light or brightness for a third of the day, and for a third of the night likewise. This is not only going to be a very spiritually dark time on the earth, this is physically going to be a very dark and cold time on the earth. And it's almost like the physical characteristics of the day are describing what the spiritual climate of the day is like as well. It's going to be a very cold and dark time. Jesus even describes this time as that many, the love of many will grow cold, uncaring. And we even see, obviously, the seeds of that today in our day, where people just, don't care about each other anymore. And that's why we as God's people need to be all the more caring about us and others to show the difference of what God can do in our lives. And I commend you all for being such a loving, caring group of people Because it is hard to be loving and caring in a world where there's not a lot of love and a lot of care and a lot of concern. But we've got to be different. We've got to be the example to others. Then I looked, verse 13, and I heard an eagle flying directly overhead at the highest point in the heavens so that no one would miss this proclamation, proclaiming with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe. An exclamation of grief three times to those who live on the earth because of the remaining sounds of the trumpet and of the three angels who are about to blow them. By the way, the word live in verse 13 is an important word. It means to have dwelt and to have settled down on the earth. It it is describing not just, you know, physically, this is where we dwell, this is where we live, because in a sense, that could describe us. It's more the, the spiritual heart that is being described, or lack of it here, in the fact that, remember, the Bible describes those of us who know God as not being tide settling down upon the earth. We are pilgrims. We are sojourners. We are passing through. Our citizenship, Philippians 3.20, is not of the earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. We set our affection on things above, not things on the earth. Jesus said, lay up your treasure in heaven, not on the earth. 
So we are not earth dwellers. We are not ever to settle down and dwell and totally be comfortable and just sort of put our roots down here because we have to always remember this is not our home. This is not where we, what we are about. We are about the kingdom that is to come. That's what we live for. That's what we focus on. That's where our hope goes. But that's the difference. The people who are left at this point, part of the reason why they are still here on the earth is because the earth is their focus. For them, this earth is all that there ever will be. There is no afterlife. There's nothing after this. So it literally is. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Let's grab all that we can have in this life because there really is nothing else to live for. Again, for the believer, our lives should scream something totally different. Our lives should be not about so much this life, but the life to come. Our lives should be focused more on eternity and living for eternity rather than the here and now temporal, material, and physical things that again, one day will be taken away. In fact, let's go. Do I have a minute? Oh, yeah, I got a minute. <laughs> Let's go to the book of Hebrews for just a moment. Chapter 12. Going to begin reading in verse 25. where the writer of Hebrews says to his audience in Hebrews 12:25 take care not to refuse the one who is speaking for if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth how much less shall we if we reject the one who warns from heaven then his voice shook the earth but now he has promised i will once more shake not only the earth but heaven too now this phrase once more indicates the removal of what is shaken. That is of created things so that what is unshaken may remain. Let's stop there. The author is saying, if it can be shaken, then it's created. And if it's created, it won't last. That's why we should be focusing on the things that cannot be shaken. And notice then what he says in verse 28. So since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us give thanks. And through this, let us offer worship, pleasing to God in devotion. And notice, awe. For our God is indeed a consuming fire. And we have seen that aspect of God's nature tonight in Revelation 8, where one day our God, as a consuming fire, is literally going to come across the face of the earth and begin to consume everything that can be shaken or that is created. And let's not forget that one of the reasons God is doing this also is because in His goodness, 
This earth has been cursed. And this earth has been messed up. (laughs) And, And this earth in man's hands for several thousands of years has been in some ways ruined. And so that's why, instead of God giving us this world to live in, God says, nah, I'm going to get rid of this heaven and earth. And I'm going to create a new heaven and earth that is pristine, that is perfect, in which righteousness dwells, and there is no curse in it or on it at all. And that will be where you and I dwell for all of eternity in fellowship. And so we see that beginning as well. The dismantling of this created order to set up God creating the new heaven and the new earth at the end of what happens in the book of Revelation. When you and I read a chapter like Revelation chapter 8, again, for me, the primary thrust for me was, God, help me not to be so independent. Because I'm seeing how independent we can be. And even as a believer, I need to be very intentional and very conscious to live in continual dependence upon you and to acknowledge and recognize that everything I have and everything that I am comes from you or came from you. And that I have nothing and am nothing without you. All of me is dependent on you, whether I acknowledge it or not. So God, help me as one who says I believe in you to acknowledge that all the time. I need you, Lord. Every hour, I need you. And the other thing, is it with us beginning to see creation consumed, May we, not ever as Christians, enjoy the glory of creation. The beautiful sunrises and sunsets and and vistas and mountains and valleys and waterways and oceans and the life in the ocean and the life on the land and all the animals and wondrous animals that God created, some of them that I look at and go, God, what were you thinking? And yet not see in all the animals and all the humanity and all the wonders of God's creation and not see the God and the glory and the greatness of the One who made it all happen and brought it all about and gave it life. May every day that we live amongst God's creation, may we say, thank you, God. Thank you for giving me life. (laughs) Thank you for giving me this. But Lord, let me never worship this. (laughs) Let me worship you the one behind it. As we close in prayer tonight, I want us to 
remember those police officers and their families tonight and all those who put their life on the line every day for us. I know up until about a year and a half ago, my family would have not been as sensitive to that as we were whenever my wife's sister's husband, who's a police officer in Florida, was shot, survived, but we get it. (laughs) Couldn't help but think about when I saw his wife and those three children. So let's just remember that family and of course the other officer that is still in the hospital and the whole police department. They are a family. When one of them is hurting, they are all hurting. And we need to remember them in prayer. We have several people here at the Oasis who are in law enforcement. And we need to remember them as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being such an awesome God. A God that the more we learn of you, the more we see of you, the more we just stand in awe, sometimes speechless, as we stand before you. Knowing, Lord, that we would have never lived one day, we would have never experienced life at all, we would have never known you in a personal way, we would have never had a relationship or fellowship with you if you had not made it all happen. It's all because of you and your amazing grace. God, from the beating of our heart to all of our internal organs and the things that, Lord, we take for granted every day, all the breaths that we take, and yet, Lord, it all came from you. And you stand between us and that last heartbeat that sends us all into eternity. God, help us to acknowledge how dependent we are on you and how good you are to us. And yet, God, we see whether it's through the book of Revelation or even in our own time, that we are living in a troubled and broken world. We live in a world of violence and a lack of love and care about other human beings. And God, tonight we just want to say we are so hurting for the families of these police officers, especially, Lord, the one who's died.
and his dear wife and children. And we just ask, Lord, that you would comfort them as only you, God, can comfort. That you would minister to them in a way, Lord, that we as human beings cannot minister to them. And that, God, we know that they're going to have a lot of support and a lot of people around them. But, God, most of all, we know that what will sustain them through these really hard days ahead is going to be you and your grace. And so I pray, God, that they will look to you and lean upon you in the days ahead. For that police officer that's still in the hospital fighting for his life, I pray, Lord, that that he will make improvement. You will give the all the surgeons and doctors and nurses and all of them wisdom as they minister to him. God, I pray that he could be raised back up and be restored to his family and friends as well. And for the whole Phoenix Police Department and fraternity, Lord, I just pray for all of them that Lord, that you would just be near to them. Lord, for those that we take for granted, who stand in the gap every day, whether it be our those in uniform and service to our country, the men and women that serves here in America and all overseas, to our law enforcement, to Lord, our fire people to everyone, God. We thank You for them. And pray for protection for each and every one. God, thank You for this group of people who come out on Tuesday night because they love You and they love Your Word. And because they truly want to grasp and and grip, Lord, Your mind and Your will and Your perspective to know You better. Not so, Lord, that we can get more facts, but so that we can worship You more. So that we can fall in love with You more and stand in all of You more and serve You and love You and live for You more. Especially, Lord, that we might live more dependently upon You. So God, go with us this week. Lord, for those who call the Oasis their home place, Lord, bring us back Sunday. We might have just a great Sunday together of encouragement and refreshment with you and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.